What's up, guys? This is Matt from Warrior Republic, and you're watching the Warrior Within podcast, where we talk to upcoming fighters, professional grapplers, competitive grapplers, and one of the ones we have today is a treat. We have a competitive grappler who's basically a Pan Am champion and also an IBJJF champion, uh, Nationals for America. We have with us Sean Yadamarco is the Warrior Within. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Um, it's nice to be on this podcast, get to talk some jujitsu with you guys. Um, any questions you have, just throw them at me. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. No problem. I basically, you know, would just ask you about basically what you've been doing, man. Like, since I interviewed you, you've been just kicking ass. Like, you've been, just been competition after competition after competition. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I've just had some good momentum going, going into the Pan Ams. Um, all my matches, I had one submission. The rest of my matches, I dominated by points. I had no points scored on me. Um, it's because I have great teammates, you know, great students I get to train with. Um, it makes my jiu-jitsu just that much sharper. Yeah, I can see it, man. And, you know, you and Mike are just, like, killing it, you know, just basically showing your whole team that, like, you know, anything's possible. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of schools, like, in our area, it's just, you know, like, pot belly instructors who learned shit 20 years ago. And um, they don't really have any desire to improve. But that's the difference between me and Mike's school of Mortals Jiu-Jitsu. We're actually on the competition scene. We're actually learning new stuff every day from the Henzo Gracie Academy. And we're delivering our students the best techniques possible. Right. Like, so if guys don't know, like, you know, you have, of course, Danaher's whole group has gone to Puerto Rico. But if you want to go and get some, especially if you're on the border and you're in New Jersey and you can't get to the Blue Basement, you know, right in Clifton, Immortal Jiu-Jitsu is like a perfect yep. place to go. Yep. Um, yeah, um, Mike Mike was training under John Donaher for like over three years. He knows a lot of his systems. I got to spend some time training under John in their pro training class so I could teach some of their systems also. And um, and yeah, we're uh, cornering the no-gi market in our area. Every every school in our area is just traditional gi jiu-jitsu. But, um, you know, people want to watch no-gi. People like no-gi better, it seems. So we're really cornering that market. And you, uh, personally, you just train mostly no-gi, but you've done gi competitions, I'm sure. Yeah, I competed in the IBJJF gi world championships four years in a row. Um, yeah, it's at the purple belt level, blue belt level. Um, you know, I've competed at the highest levels. I competed on Kasai grappling, um, fight to win in the gi. I've won gi matches on both those, you know, prestige events. So I can also teach the gi. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And do you find, like, you know, a lot of schools are very heavy in the gi at first. Like, I'd probably be one of my first questions of jiu-jitsu for you would be like, you know, why do you, there's a super switch, but you know, with the whole no-gi, it's more exciting. People think, like, gi, you know, especially if you get into jiu-jitsu, most people probably saw something cool with no-gi. And, you know, just a lot of schools, you know, they have a lot of the traditional where they're doing gi for a good up until their purple belt. You know, as a, what do you do at your school? Is it just predominantly whatever you want to wear? Or is it like you have gi and no gi classes, of course? So um, we have no gi classes five days a week. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, it's both. So we both teach gi and no gi techniques. And if you want to bring your gi, you can bring your gi and learn the gi techniques. If you want to just stick to no gi, then you can just stick to no gi. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Dope. Dope. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we're not, uh, you know, we're not bitches about leg locks and stuff. If you want to come in, you know, do all the leg locks that you want. We love leg locks there. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Especially when you're getting like, you know, 
your guys are going in the blue basement. Of course, you get over there. Leg locks are fine over here, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you go into a lot of schools in our area, and, you know, a lot of the instructors don't like leg locks too much, right? Um, but, you know, jiu-jitsu evolves. You know, that's one of the, the highest uh, percentage of submissions is heel hooks in the past ADCC. So you need to be training them. Well, can you, like... Just in the last UFC, they had a heel hook submission. I was just going to say that, yeah. A Super just hit a heel hook. He's a 21-year-old brown belt. He's really good. I'm sorry, like cut out. What was that? Um, Chase Hooper just hit the the heel hook last night. In the UFC. Right, right. Yeah, as a 21 year old brown belt. Um, yeah, you know, heel hooks are getting big in MMA. Also, you see Gary Tonin hitting them all the time. Not his last fight, but he hit a couple in his previous fights. Right. You know, it's almost like early EBI, like when, you know, people came in and they didn't really know leg locks. It's almost like where MMA is right now. You could just leg lock a lot of people because, you know, you got to train everything. You train. Yeah. You know, there's so much you got to work with. Some of these guys don't want to have injury by uh, playing with leg locks as well, especially if they're inexperienced. Yeah. You know, evolve or die. You know, you can't uh, you can't do the same shit you've been doing your whole life. You got to evolve, you know, learn new things. You can't be scared of, you know, leg locks and stuff. Right. Because eventually, you know, you're just going to get, well, some 16-year-old may heel hook you. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, let me ask you one like thing. I mean, it's awesome. Well, actually, let me just go in and this will actually flow perfectly. So you weren't always at the Blue Basement, right? You actually were at another gym and you... Yeah, I was at more of like a traditional jiu-jitsu gym. Um, that's where I was training a lot in the gi mostly. Um, but I still won some no-gi uh, tournaments there. Um, but yeah, you know, the blue basement is just where I wanted to be. Um, you know, training with some of the best guys in the world. I know a lot of them just left to Puerto Rico, but we still have a good squad in the blue basement. Um, a lot of guys to look out for. Cause you know, honestly, when I came in to your school, like I was really confused. I didn't really know what happened. Like, I'm just kind of like listening and hearing stuff. I thought you were originally at Danaher's and they kicked you out for cross training. And then I find out that wasn't even the school you got invited to Danaher's after. So can you just tell yeah. us about that? No, yeah, I was just training pretty much wherever I wanted um, during the pandemic and shit. Uh, you know, my instructor at the time didn't really like that, so we just decided to split. And, um, and yeah, now I'm at Henzo's, and it's, you know, it's amazing there. What was it like for the – there was, like, the last class, am I correct, where it was uh, John Danaher and stuff like that? What has it been yeah. like? able to be in the last, uh, the last class for, that John taught at Henzo's. Um, you know, it was pretty emotional. A lot of the people were sad there. Um but yeah, it was uh, you know, John didn't um, you know, cut class early or anything. He taught he uh, taught it like a regular class. It was pretty cool. Were there any like special like things that he said or uh, you know, like maybe philosophy wise that he said before he left? Um, you know, he's always giving uh, great advice to a lot of the the guys that are on you know the the squad and like the junior squad guys. Um, yeah, nothing that I could, uh, you know, repeat back. <laughs> I know a lot of his stuff is, like, very uh, deep and detailed anyway, right? Uh, 100%. <laughs> so what kind of techniques did you guys like? What, what do you, what he just, it's like the normal rolling you guys just had normal. There was no, like, special, like, hey, I'm leaving and I'm going to do some special shit and show you guys. Like, what was, what was stuff you did? No, um, we, uh, we were pretty much doing the same thing, um, you know, changing up the techniques obviously every day we were doing about an hour and a half on the feet um then like an hour and a half on the ground mostly on the ground we were working leg locks and different types of um you know passing sometimes and a lot of good breakdowns from when people are standing up hmm. Hmm. yeah it really fit well into my game 
And when you were training for how long? Because now he's out, but you trained there for a good like you know, uh, like month, couple months, a week, or a couple weeks. Because yeah, in that... a couple months. Um, it was definitely a great opportunity to train under him in that period of time and train with some of the best guys in the world. What'd you think on your first day? Like when you went in there, what hit you? That was like, you know, damn, I'm in here with John Danaher, and like you know, what was the first day like? Um, the first day was pretty cool. You know, um, you know, everyone's very welcoming. You know, it's not like uh, it's not like there's a lot of dicks. Um, you know, everyone's pretty pretty chill about it. Um, that's what I really liked. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, also you're rolling around with freaking like so many different people like that are just who's who of grappling in there yeah um yeah it was pretty cool uh nicky rod actually helped me a lot i got to do some wrestling rounds with him and uh his guard's actually really good a lot of people don't know that hmm. uh, but yeah he got you know he got to um show me a lot of cool shit and uh yeah i really appreciated that that's dope man and, and then it wasn't recently like yesterday right didn't he come to, to your immortals yeah. jujitsu cool and he uh he showed us his uh you know, his patented uh, cartwheel pass right to the back. Um, some of our guys were getting it down pretty quick, too. It was awesome. Um, yeah, he also gave a speech on, uh, you know, competitive mindset and uh, what his mindset's like going into tournaments, and I think it's really going to help our guys out. That's actually a question I had for you, too. Like, like you know, you are such a competitor, man. Like, uh, I think that's the one thing you have from – because I interviewed you before and, you know, you're a wrestler. There's just something very competitive, you know. All wrestlers, like, kind of have that in them, even if they're not wrestling. So, like, with that mindset, going back to mindset, what is your mindset when you go and do these matches? You know, usually the day of a tournament, I try to listen to, like, you know, very chill music and try to stay as calm as possible. And then 10 minutes before each match, I'll usually blast fucking heavy metal. Oh, really? That's going, man. Yeah. That's the strategy. Right on. Got to know when to chill and you got to know when to just fucking, you know, get aggressive. The key is to stay calm throughout the day. But like right before, like right when you start to warm up, that's when you could fucking, you know, let your emotions kind of go. Oh, that's interesting. A lot of people yeah. think it's the other way around, especially when they're even doing like fighters for amateurs. They'll just they'll get themselves wound up, and then when the match happens, your adrenaline dumps. Yeah, like if if you try to like pump yourself up the whole day, as soon as you wake up, by the time you fight, you're gonna be fucking exhausted. And that's one of the worst things you can do as an athlete because, like you know, exhausting your body before you get out there. And a lot of people don't realize, like your mind, if you exhaust your, it's a lot of stress you go through in competitions. You know, I know. I've, I've gone through some things too, and then you're bringing that in there with you. You get tired, you know, because of this mental stress. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, and people think they have to eat all these special things the day of a tournament. No, just eat what you usually eat, man. You know, don't don't change it up. Well, well, you know, did you ever have anything like that? I guess what, you have stomach problems, right? People eat something, and then in the competition, you're just going to have that when you're rolling. Oh, yeah, I've definitely learned the hard way. Um <laughs> But yeah, it just, you know, it takes time. You just got to try to be yourself the day of the competition. Just try to stay calm. And then uh, once you get to the event, once you start warming up, then things pick up. And also the absolutes you do, you know, you're not just doing your own weight class. Like, you know, you're killing it in the absolute. Sometimes you'll see bronze. Like I never, I never see lower than a bronze with you, man. I mean, you're just always killing it. So what's it like when you're going against guys that just weigh more than you? Yeah, I always do the absolute. You know, a lot of people... Won't do the absolute. Um, I always sign my name up for it. Um, but yeah, you know, it's interesting seeing, uh, you know, fighting guys who are in the ultra heavies and super heavy weight classes. 
um, you know, I get to work more on my guard with them and try different positions, try to, you know, strategically win those matches. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's everyone should be competing in absolute. You know, that's that's how you prove your jujitsu. You know, you think so, huh? Why is that? Well, you know, jujitsu is created to, uh, you know, to take down the heavier opponent, right? To submit them, to strangle them. Um, it gives people who are smaller, you know, uh, a chance in a fight. That's what jujitsu does. And if you can win absolute divisions and beat guys who are ultra heavyweight, then that just shows that your jujitsu works. I absolutely 100% agree with that. And I was talking to somebody else that I just did a podcast before, and, and I thought it was really interesting. Also a wrestler, um, and he was saying, like, you know, wrestling favors athleticism, you know. And not every gym is going to have the biggest strong guy, like, come in and do that. You know, even with striking, you have to be in pretty good shape if you're going to throw, like, leg kicks with your punches. Yeah, you can be a boxer with a gut. And I'm not saying jujitsu guys are out of shape, but what I am saying is you, you see in a class where like the old lady, the out of shape kid, like you can defend yourself with jujitsu broadly through like you have these disadvantages. And, you know, I'm, once you get on the ground, the advantages, you know, everyone's the same size on the ground. So I completely agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, if my students who are watching my matches, you know, some, some of them are taller, you know, smaller people, you know, if they see me fighting in absolute divisions, you know, beating ultra heavyweights you know it's going to inspire them you know so i'm always signing up for absolute dope man i love it i always like you know thought it was a very advanced thing to do anyway you know because you you're like damn i don't know if i can like the cardio like i almost want to ask you that because like you're doing the absolutes too like isn't that more out of you for cardio if your technique is more efficient then um you won't go through so much cardio you know it's good to uh you know be uh you know have the best cardio in the world but if your technique is inefficient, then you're going to tire out in the first minute. If your technique's efficient, then you could go all these matches without even having great cardio. Oh, wow. So as far as cardio goes, uh, you know, a lot of jujitsu guys just roll. They don't really do any uh, extra stuff. Like, so you're saying you're just rolling all day. There is no, like, you're not doing sprints. You're not doing anything extra. I'm really into swimming. I, uh, I, I swim a lot for cardio also. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think it's a great... Uh, great cardio for jujitsu is swimming it's easy on your joints you know uh sometimes when i'm running i feel it in my knees and shit um but swimming swimming's easy on your body get that resistance absolutely yeah. and the, like having someone on you and pushing right yeah. you had to breathe also like in jujitsu sometimes you got to know how to breathe you know when you're swimming you got to be conscious of how you're breathing you know right. it's a, a lot of um good things that come out of swimming for jujitsu Wow, I like that one. I never thought about that. Because you're right, even like the breaststroke, you got to like put your face in the water, then come up for air. You oh, know? yeah. So, no, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, yeah, like uh, like a lot of guys that like Atos and some of the West Coast guys, you know, they're lucky they have a, a beach right there. A lot of them will just swim in the ocean for hours. Um, yeah, definitely great for jiu-jitsu. Wow, wow. And, you know, it's also good for therapy. With, like you said, joints, just healing in general, you know, hydrotherapy. Yeah. No, yeah, 100%. So, like, aside from, like, your competitive mindset, like, do you do you see, like, you just, what do you bring that in life to, man? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that whole mindset you have with the matches, I bet you do that with your everyday stuff. Um, You know, from day to day, um, like I said, I just try to stay calm. I try not to, uh, you know, waste energy on stuff that's not important. Um, you know, when I'm training, you can't, I feel like it could be, it could be good. It could also be bad to have a competitive mindset. You know, um, if I'm just working stuff, 
um, then I don't want to have a competitive mindset. But if I'm looking for hard training, like if I have a tournament coming up, you know, I will have a competitive mindset as I'm training. Yeah, right. You don't want to just be competitive with everybody at work. Then it just makes you the asshole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so what about strength and conditioning, though, too? Like, I know Mike, he does a lot of, like, you know, you know, he has a powerlifting background, right? But he also does machines and he does weights. Do you do any weights or anything? Um, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been lifting about three or four times a week. Um, yeah, my, my friends, uh, my friends, uh, training to be like a physical therapist and knows a lot about the body has been helping me out a lot with lifting. Um, but yes, you know, sometimes it's not, you can't always listen to the, the meatheads, you know, sometimes like listen to science when you're lifting, you know? Yeah. You can't listen to bro science, you know, it's not real science. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what do you do? Because of one of the things, like, especially as somebody who's like, I'm not like the most skilled jujitsu guy. I'm basically still a white belt. But like for me, like lifting and then rolling is like sometimes, especially in the beginning stages, like there's so much when you're just grappling, you're sore anyway. You know, I mean, you grappled so much, you're not anymore. How do you juggle? What do you do? Like you're the same days you're rolling all the time. So like, what do you do? Like when you're lifts, are you lifting the same days you're rolling? Are you doing light lifts? What's your schedule? Um, you just need to know your body, you know, like if, um, if you're feeling way too broken down, then you shouldn't lift, you know, it's okay. You don't have to lift every day. You don't have to lift five times a week, you know, three times a week, you'll be fine. You know, four times a week, you'll be good. Um, you know, just know your body. And do you ever like do certain things where you're like, you know, man, like I'm really weak in my grip strength and you do like maybe grip work. Cause you know, that's good with jujitsu. Do you do anything like sports, uh, uh, directed, you know, it's like, training that you know you're doing specifically for the sport like it's not just for aesthetics and, and lifting um so like other training that would be good for jujitsu yeah like during your strength training do you do rope pulls do you do any like grip training or um my friend has a for for grip training he has a thing called the kimono grip my friend uh, dan his instagram's jujitsu giant um oh yeah yeah i know that kid pick out a kimono grip for grip strength put a hook it up to any machine and um, really get your grips down and, you know, you can put on heavy weight on it and the thing won't rip and you could really work your grips. Wow. So so you can put on anything? How does it work? How does that yeah, actually work? Like, you know, you clip it on to like the tricep machine, you know, the rowing machines, and um, you can really get your grip strength down fast. Damn. Yeah, like I kind of, uh, when I met him and he's like, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. And then I looked at his page and he's like, Dude, he's the kimono grip guy? Yeah, he's the kimono grip guy. So if you want a kimono grip, <laughs> No, check out his page. Oh, uh, it's dope. Yeah, it's just Jiu-Jitsu Giants. So if you guys want to go there and check that out, like, boom. <laughs> One of the things, like, I'd also want to ask you as, like, a, a teacher or a coach, because basically, like, for me, me and my brother just learned with videos, you know? We were just into MMA, and then, you know, we just learned Jiu-Jitsu through videos. I wrestled before. I actually had MMA videos and Jiu-Jitsu uh, arm bars and stuff. And when I was wrestling, I would do that on the wrestlers in the wrestling team just call me the jujitsu kid. <laughs> and as cool as that is, I never really got a formal class till like a couple years ago. So I always feel like when you're training jujitsu, I think it's important that you maybe in my mind, because when I try and even teach somebody and I'm not even, Ooh, did he go out on us? Right, I'm here. Okay, cool. So when I'm trying to teach someone stuff, I always think it's better to start them on their back. Like, what do you do as like a teacher and someone doesn't know anything like day one 
And maybe, you, you know, let's do it of importance. So you may never see this person again. You know, I teach them one really important thing on jujitsu. What position do you start? So first day jujitsu, I think, um, you know, actually learning how to take a fight to the ground is probably the most important. Like learning how to clinch and just take someone to the floor. Because if you can't take someone to the floor, then your jujitsu is absolutely useless. All right. So I think first things you should learn. 100%, man. Um, that's the important thing about wrestling, too. And I've seen a lot of jujitsu guys. And they're great. You know, they do their thing. But when it comes to actually taking someone down, do takedowns. I mean, you even see it in the UFC. Uh, a lot of straight Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys, you know, they got to wait till someone takes them down or like, you know, or the way they take them down is so slow and, you know, and gradual and you don't see a lot of wrestlers explosive, you know, he's pushing through, he's cutting corners. It's a lot of feet, a lot of feet involved, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If you're not a, if you're not working wrestling, um, heel hooks and, um, you know, no gi jiu-jitsu, then you're behind the curve. Right. So what, what about um as far as, so, so I guess you're just teaching them single legs or double legs, or what's the first techni- uh, takedown you show them? A first takedown, I believe, should be from the clinch. So if, like, someone's coming into you, how to clinch with someone and how to, you know, do a rear sit-out from there or, you know, a plethora of other takedowns from there. I think uh, that should be one of the first things you learn, how to, you know, disengage a striker and, um, you know, get it close on them and take them down. Right, for self-defense, right? Because yeah. you never know when someone's going to just be right here and you grab them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, we're, we want to make sure our students could, you know, kick some ass if uh, anyone tried to mess with them. Dope. I don't know if you're aware, too, of like they have, um, I think Hicks and Gracie has some federation. I saw this on Joe Rogan like three years ago uh, that he has this whole thing where I don't know if you got to pay for it, but there's a whole self def- there's competition side that he claims there's a more self-defense thing. Like if somebody has a knife or I don't know. And he goes around and basically goes to schools or he has people and they show that side of jujitsu where like a lot of schools don't have that. I don't know if you've ever heard that. No, yeah, that's, um, you know, that's good for the, the traditional aspect of jujitsu and, um, you know, for the people who aren't really competitors and they just want to learn, you know, how to defend themselves. So it's, there's nothing wrong with that, you know. And like we said before, like it's the best probably martial art if you're going to learn how to defend yourself because you don't need to be an athlete. You don't need to have crazy, you know, skills. You just need to understand the premise of, oh, let me get this person to the ground and work my technique. No, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, if you train boxing your whole life and like you get into a fight with the guy who's a foot taller than you, a hundred pounds heavier than you, you know, they hit you once you might be going down, you know, jujitsu, you, you know, you, you could always get hit. Yeah. But if you can get in close, take the fight to the ground, you have a lot better chance of winning the fight than like a boxer would against someone that big. Right. Um, have you ever had like any like confrontations where you actually have used your jujitsu? Um, not since, uh, you know, like ninth grade, um, <laughs> wrestling, I did a little like MMA jujitsu. Um, but besides that, not really. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So, like what happened exactly? Um, you know, it was just, some kid in the locker room was just saying shit to me, and um, I, I took him to the floor and punched him in the face a couple times, actually. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> That's what it is, man. Like, you know, the wrestling's a weird sport, too, because as much as, like, it's very, like, it's a team thing, it's very about, like, singular independence. Like, it's you, you're out there, and some dudes have a fucking ego because, you know, they think they're the man in it, you know? And I'm not saying jiu-jitsu doesn't, but I see that less. Do you see that as a wrestler? Do you see there's, like, far less ego in jiu-jitsu opposed to wrestling? 
Oh yeah, there's one hundred percent. Um, you know, you will still see egos in jujitsu. Unfortunately, I feel like jujitsu either like can amplify your ego or get rid of your ego. You know, um, but yeah, in wrestling, it's you know it's amplified times ten. Kids, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't really blame them. You know, they feel like they're on top of the world. You know, winning big wrestling tournaments and it builds their ego. <laughs> And I guess let's just talk about your origins a bit too. Like, you know, why don't we just talk about wrestling? Like, you know, you didn't do college wrestling, but you started what? Did you do middle school or is it just high school? Very young, like elementary school. Um, I wrestled for years. Um, I didn't wrestle in college. I got some letters to wrestle in college, but uh, I just didn't. I just decided not to go through with it. And um, I was really focusing on jujitsu. I kind of like jujitsu better. Um, and yeah, I'm happy where I'm at now. What was that? Were you like in um, were you like sophomore year? What were you like? When was it where you're wrestling? And you're like, you know, man, I like jujitsu better. Probably like my junior senior year is when I realized I like jujitsu better. And did you go to like what school was it? And you're like, you like, wow, I'm choking people. This is better. Like, um, you know, I think for MMA purposes, yeah, like wrestling does seem to be like the most dominant martial art in in MMA, but um. Jiu-jitsu, I just like, um, you know, I like the fact that, you know, I could beat someone a lot bigger than me with jiu-jitsu. You can with wrestling, too, but I, it seems to be a lot more efficient with jiu-jitsu to beat someone bigger than you. Why do you think it's more uh, of, like, MMA as more wrestling is dominance? I mean, do you think it's because it's positional, right? There's positional dominance, so it's easier for strikes? Positional, yeah, and I also think mindset. You know, wrestlers' mindsets are a lot different than, you know, any other martial art I've noticed. Um, they have that like grit and grind, you know, just bite down your mouthpiece and go. Um, they know how to cut weight, you know, because wrestling, you really have to fucking cut weight hard. A lot of jujitsu jiu guys, I feel like, don't really know how to cut weight the proper way. Um, and yeah, I think it's just the wrestler mentality is big. You know, it's actually something that a lot of people do. You know, I'm way too like new at doing that shit. But have you cut weight? When someone's doing their early competitions, like they shouldn't cut weight, right? No, no. I would say probably your first 10 competitions you know you really shouldn't cut weight you should uh you know just try to go in there at your natural weight um healthy and just try to put on the best performance possible once you uh you know learn more about cutting weight then you could uh figure out how to be at your best possible while you know you're cutting like 20 pounds hmm. so like cutting weight 101 like you know say you were like 150 pounds like where do you go from there like how much weight do you cut is it different for everybody uh, I guess it depends on your body fat. I would definitely suggest checking out your body fat percentage and seeing what would be a really low, healthy weight for you if you're looking to compete. Now, what does that mean? The lower body fat, you can cut more or less? Yeah, if your body fat's at a certain percentage, you know, like, uh, you could figure out what to cut while, you know, it won't make you die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because what I hear, too, right? So the more fat, you can probably hold water more. No, yeah. Yeah, you would be surprised how much water weight could uh, you could get out of your body in a very quick amount of time. So being really lean, that's what I hear from some athletes. Like it's harder to like basically cut weight because there's nothing, you have nothing holding it. Yeah, it's definitely difficult as a lean athlete, but um, you could definitely figure out ways, you know, to get the water rate out. You know, sauna is definitely an amazing option. <laughs> You've never <laughs> do that though, do you? What? Sauna, you ever do that though? Oh yeah, I love the sauna. Oh wow, so you like really, <laughs> that's really uh, dedication. <laughs> the sauna the sauna is very peaceful for me it's very uh um you know you're in like a hundred and something degree room and you're just really thinking you know you're kind of kind of get you lost in your thoughts <laughs> like a meditation yeah it's kind of like it kind of meditation sort of thing, the sauna for me 
So you, are you like thinking about the competition at that point or are you just like, what's... yeah, you're just thinking about the competition or thinking about other things in life and just like, uh, you know, the, there's sweat just coming off of you and, you know, very easy way to lose weight. What are the other things you do? Like, I'm sure that's not the first thing you do to cut weight. Uh, also Epsom salt. Um, you take Epsom salt baths. Um, that's a great way to get the water out of your body. Um, yeah, so those are some of the two main things I do, you know, besides actually, you know, training to lose weight. Hmm. Like, yeah. Well, as far as recovery, what do you do? Um, recovery, um, definitely try to get lots of sleep. Um, that's very important, obviously. Try to stay hydrated, very important. Um, besides that, you know, um, just stretching, you know, stretching after training sessions, um, before training sessions will good for injury prevention and you know just getting yourself uh in better condition so that, that you won't get injured that's the thing nobody wants to stretch after class <laughs> stretching after class is very important i mean why is that because your body's warmed up like a lot of people who like i preach this a lot because you know i wasn't doing it for years you know when your body's warmed up you're able to stretch your body more you know when you're doing it you're doing a cold stretch and a cold stretch is bad for your joints yeah, you know, especially like, uh, you know, the guy who's coming from work, just working an eight-hour day, sitting in the office, um, they try to go in there and just try to start rolling. They're going to tear their ACL or something, you know. Definitely need to stretch. And you got to know, like, a little bit, like, for me, like, my knees crack a lot and my knee, whatever. So I got to warm up my knees, right? So, like, you got to know that about what your body needs to do more than other people. Like, oh, because Jeff's there and he's fucking warming up like an asshole. Like, you don't need to do the same shit. No, you got to know your body and, like, know certain things that work for you. Yeah. Now, if you see the 16-year-old kid doing backflips, you know, maybe don't try to do backflips to warm up your <laughs> body. Yeah, exactly. Well, how much do you see, like, with the amount of people that come into your 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 gym? Like, you, you have, like, a lot of level of, like different types of competitors that come in there that are starting out. You see like young talent coming in there? Um, yeah, we, we have some, we have some young guys. Um, my, uh, my friend Scott's only 18. He's training at Henzo's and our gym. So he's training like three times a day. He's going to be a monster. Um, With Scott, yeah. Scott, dot jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. Scott jitsu, man. And you check <laughs> him out. It's going to be a future legend. <laughs> Damn right. So how many times does like a kid like that? He's dedicated. Comes in like how many times a week? Oh, Scott's, uh, I go to Henzo's with him every morning, 8 a.m. and noon, five days a week, Saturday at noon, um, and then at night, five days a week, you know, he's coming with me to all these sessions. Nice, nice. So I'm turning him into a killer. <laughs> Slowly but surely. Yeah. And so, like, what other, like, you have uh, other students that are up and coming, right, that you're seeing? Yeah, we have, we have some pretty good students. Uh, we have this kid, TB, who, um... He took third in Romania for freestyle wrestling. Whoa. Yeah. He's uh we have purple belts come in, you know, random purple belts come into our gym and TB's usually one of the people that goes with them and you know, he usually smashes a lot of them. You know, um and we're teaching him jujitsu. He's starting to like to play the guard now and go for heel hooks, so he's gonna be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have this other kid, Wagner, who's pretty good. Um, he also wrestled a very long time. Um, he's starting to pick it up pretty fast. He's going to be competing soon, actually. Definitely someone to look out for. So what do you think, man, when people come from a grappling background that go into jiu-jitsu, like wrestling, do you think that they progress faster? Or do you go, whoa, I got to make sure they know jiu-jitsu because they're using their skills they came in with too much? Yeah, you know, um, you could definitely amplify their skills also. You know, like 
if a wrestler comes in, you don't want to tell them to like not wrestle at the same time. You know, you kind of want to amplify their skills so that you could uh, teach them, you know, jujitsu submissions and uh, passes and stuff that they could use their wrestling um, to help, you know? Absolutely. Um, so as far as like what happens, like they are, you know, the heads out to the side when they do a takedown, you know, sometimes the heads in the middle, like, the first thing, like, you teach them, like, what do you, like, hey, man, you can't come in and do a takedown like that because you're going to get choked. Isn't that true? No, yeah, definitely. Um, You definitely don't want to leave your head out, you know, especially when you're shooting double legs and stuff. You could definitely get guillotine. That's some stuff we have to go over with them. And, um, you know, posture is a big thing, too. When they're passing guard, a lot of wrestlers will come in and try to pass guard, and um, they'll open themselves up for triangles a lot. You'll see, you know, wrestlers who come in and get triangled a lot by jiu-jitsu guys. So, um, you know, the correct way to pass without getting triangled is something you definitely have to show wrestlers also because otherwise they'll just keep getting caught in triangles yeah yeah and you're saying like you know you you being a wrestler you can almost when you go against a guy kind of know those things huh yeah you know sometimes uh especially like in the absolute division i'll fight you know usually wrestler type uh jiu-jitsu people and um definitely gives me a, a perspective on how to beat them and how to neutralize their wrestling in a jiu-jitsu match dope and what do you think was one of your hardest matches? I guess we'll start with the Pan Ams. Like, did you have anybody that really you you were like, oh, wow, this guy's good? Or, or like, maybe, you know, what was anything that you had trouble with? Um, You know, most of the matches in my division, um, I won uh, pretty soundly um, for the Pan Ams and the American National. Um, my, my finals match at the Pans was pretty tough against a good opponent. His name's Max Hansen. Um, I was able to win 3 nothing by a guard pass. Most of the match was him trying, was me trying to pass, um, him trying to uh, sweep me and enter into Ashi from bottom position, but uh, I was able to pass once and win the match. Um, and then my second match at the American Nationals, I actually fought someone I was training with for a little bit. Uh, my friend Tyler Rivera, he trains at Tom DeBlas's gym. Um, he had a very good uh, couple Kimura attempts. He had uh, some good guillotine attempts, but I was able to shake them off and I was able to take them down a couple times and uh, almost could take the back a couple times and win that match. Nice, nice. Yeah, and when you're just going to do these competitions, I'm just thinking, like, you know, it's so much pressure going in, and you're getting some of these, like, world-class gyms that you're going against. When you're doing that and you come represent your own gym, is there extra pressure in the competition? Oh, yeah, you know, if you're uh, coming in there, you know, you're representing your gym in the Henzo Gracie Academy, there's definitely a lot of pressure because, um, you know, everyone, uh, most people who train at Henzo's are, you know, winning these big tournaments, so you gotta you got to win also, you know? definitely some extra pressure that comes along with it. Yeah. And you got, you got to step that up. And you know, yeah. what's really interesting is I saw, I saw when you're competing, um, not that it's like totally means anything cause it always changes, but it's so cool. And I saw like, you know, now I guess you're the number one purple belt or whatever. Well, the... definitely my weight class. Yeah. I'm number one. And then pound for pound, I'm number six right now in the IBJJF rankings. So that's what it was. It was like you were number seven and then you, you woke up and it was yeah, a different one. I but unfortunately, after the American Nationals, I guess the people above me competed also. But uh, that's the pound for pound. That's not even the my own division. I'm number one, but uh, pound for pound, I'm number six. That's pretty badass, man. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and so, what's like future competitions? Like you feel like you're gonna go into? Like you know, before I even ask you that, um, the rules they're changing for IBJJF, right? Like what oh, yeah. would they're adding heel hooks and uh, reaps, which is um, definitely gonna you know, evolve jiu-jitsu a bit because uh, a lot of these old-school IBJJF guys don't train that stuff. And now they're going to be forced or else their guys are just going to get heel-hooked every tournament. 
So um, this is huge for jujitsu. Um, the IBJJF rule set is uh, something I, I, I do like it a lot. I do like the point system. You know, the advantages and disadvantages, uh, you know, that's kind of, you know, iffy. But um, heel hooks is definitely going to evolve the sport a lot in the IBJJF. It's about time. Right, exactly. I mean, I'll be honest, there's some people that actually thought that it was already happening because they see EBI and they see, you know, ADCC's got, you know, heel hooks and stuff or whatever. And so I guess it was only a matter of time before they're like, yeah, we got to evolve as well. No, yeah, absolutely. And um, you got to be good at all rule sets. You know, you can't just be good at EBI. And then if you go into an IBJJF tournament and you get your ass whooped, dude, you can't complain, oh, well, they didn't allow me to do heel hooks. Well, your jiu-jitsu's got to be more well-rounded. But um, now pretty much every competition has heel hooks, especially in the black belt division. If you're not a, if you don't have heel hooks allowed in a no gi black belt division, you know that's kind of sad at that point. Yeah, I remember um, I was filming Men of War, and you, it's some, it's right around here, and basically people were purple belts and blue belts, and they were like, "All right, heel hooks, but no reaping," and like it was a huge disparity of like they didn't want that shit happening. No, yeah, you you have to be training it, you know. Um, it's uh, you know, it's basically completely taken over jujitsu, and it's going to be taking over MMA probably within the next couple of years. You're starting to see it. I'm starting to see it now too. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's coming along. It's just uh, once more of these jujitsu guys hop into MMA, then uh, there's going to be some problems for a lot of these guys that don't know leg locks. But dude, what the hell is that? What does that mean for for jujitsu? Like, then everybody's going to be like, what's the future now? If everybody's good at leg locks, so are we just back to when leg locks were before? When nobody used them and everybody had to get good at everything else, like what does that mean if everybody's starting to get good at that shit? Well, it's going to force the people who uh, only do heel hooks to actually, uh, you know, train other stuff, other types of submissions, because everyone's going to be pretty well rounded at them now, and um, they're not just going to be able to go into every tournament and just submit people one by one by one by one with heel hooks. So it's going to force them to, you know, work on different parts of their jiu-jitsu. Um, it's going to, you know, it's going to make everyone a lot more crafty, I think, in the near future. What do you think of dudes that, like, they come in, maybe the rest of their jiu-jitsu isn't so hot, but, like, maybe they're a blue belt, but they're, they're hitting everybody with heel hooks. If some guy came into your gym like that, would you, some maybe some gyms he would get promoted higher. What do you have if he was your student? Um, you know, coming in and just learning heel hooks, you know, if you just know heel hooks and you you can't really hit any other submission on, you know, another blue belt, you know, um, then, you know, maybe you should take a, a step back from doing all these heel hooks all the time and try to work some other stuff sometimes. You know, um, if you're going against someone that you know you can submit with a heel hook, maybe try to work on some other transitions, some other types of submissions, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, what about when you go in a competition? You're not trying to learn new shit, right? Like, what's your what's your recommendation if somebody's, like, trying to learn so much shit and maybe in a competition you really don't need a lot? Can you tell people? Um, so if someone's trying to learn too much at once, you know, like a week, two weeks before the competition, don't start doing new shit because by the time the competition rolls around, you're not going to be hitting that shit that you just learned two weeks ago. You know, just keep refining the stuff that you're already good at if you're coming close to a competition. You know, post-competition, then you could start being, uh, you know, a lot more creative and trying out different things. But when you're coming up close to a competition, just refine the stuff you're already good at. Right. Like... And I was like a Bruce Lee saying, you know, like it's this, like was it someone who knows like one kick, but they do it 10,000 times or you're good at a few techniques instead of knowing a thousand. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'd rather be amazing at, you know, a couple things than, uh, you know, be okay ish at everything. Um, then you could eventually get better at those other things that you were bad at. Um, 
but like uh like john has said in some of his quotes that uh you want to be good at everything but the best in the world at one thing that's how you could really be good at jujitsu oh wow that's interesting yeah be good at everything but the best in the world at one specific thing wow Wow, that actually is pretty, it's pretty like super. He's such a good mind with that because you're like one thing you'll marinate on that and be like, damn, that opened my perspective right there. But you still need to be good at everything, but be, but really be amazing at one thing. And like, you know, if you had to really take that literal, like what would the one thing be like for, for, I don't know, like, can you someone go like, I like omoplatas? Like, are they just going to be like, is that a thing? Or like, do they have to look at it more like, hey, no, maybe you're better back. Is it positional? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, if you're really, if you're the best in the world at guard passing, then, you know, it doesn't always have to be submissions, you know, really refine your guard passing and really get good at it. So you're passing everyone's guard. Um, but, you know, also work on other things, be good at everything else so that you don't slip up in a competition. Yeah. But one of the worst things for me right now, as like someone who's trying to be better at jujitsu is like passing the guard when you have a really good person who's got a really good guard. Like sometimes I'll have a really hard problem because if you can't pass the guard, like it's a huge thing in jujitsu. I'd almost say it's one of the most important things because the guard is really dangerous if you stay there too long anyway, especially if someone has a crazy dangerous guard. If you're not, if you can't pass, like you can't execute your game. You know, how true is that? Oh no, you absolutely need to know how to pass the guard in jiu-jitsu. You know, you should learn how to pass the guard in jiu-jitsu before you learn, you know, leg locks and all these other crazy types of, uh, you know, uh, you know, new age jiu-jitsu stuff. You need to know how to pass. You know, that's why that's why it is good to train in the gi. I would say, you know, a lot of gi people are very good guard passers. I'm not saying that you need to train in the gi to get good at guard passing, but it does seem like a lot of these gi athletes are good at passing the guard. Wow, why do you think that is? Like, why are they so much better at it? I think because gi jiu-jitsu is a lot more positional and, you know, passing the guard in a two match is huge. Because, um, you know, two points is it goes a long way in gi jiu-jitsu because um, it's it's hard to score against high-level guys in the gi. But no gi, um, you know, no gi, if you give up two points, it's all right. You know, usually no gi matches are a lot faster paced and uh, usually a lot higher scores with a lot more submission attempts. But the gi forces you to be more a little more positional, I would say. Hmm. You know, and it's a different type of jujitsu in, in itself. Uh, you know, the way you're using, you know, just the whole, you know, you're wearing a whole gi and you're using it to like stop people's arms. You're using it to loop. You know, it's you're almost creative in a completely different way. It's like your body plus something else. Oh yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Um, but like I said, you don't need the gi to be good at positional jujitsu or be good at being uh, able to pass the guard. If your technique's efficient, then you're still gonna be able to pass the guard. But uh, it does seem like these gi athletes are very good at passing the guard. Well, what do you think about guys that only do like one? You know, this is what I hear. I hear like you know when you do both, even with MMA fighters, it makes your when you're doing gi instead of just doing no gi all the time, your whole jujitsu improves. Is that true? Um, I don't think you need to train in the gi. Like you, like I don't think it's absolutely 100% necessary to be good at MMA is to train in the gi or to be good at no gi is to train in the gi. But um, for some guys. You know, it does complement their no-gi jiu-jitsu while training the gi because it makes them more competent guard passers in a way. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say it's not 100% necessary, but um, it does help people. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, for you, like, as well as you're, you're probably doing all no-gi, you're not really going to go back into gi competitions probably. No, I'm doing pretty much all no gi you know i'll throw a gi on every uh now and then and train with some of my students who uh want to train the gi but uh predominantly my serious training is no gi right right so um 
what do you see as far as other competitions that you're going to go into, I guess, from here with Nogi? Um, I competition uh, January 3rd for $1,000 in uh, New Hampshire. Um, it's EBI rules, eight-man bracket. I'm excited for that. I'm getting ready for that, working a lot of my EBI overtime. Um, yeah, so probably do some more uh, small shows that have cash prizes. You know, a lot of these Nogi tournaments, EBI rules tournaments, I'll probably do that until IBJJF tournaments roll around again. Dope, man. Um, what do you think of cage jiu-jitsu? We might actually do a tournament. I mean, maybe it'll be like a couple, maybe it'll be $500 or something for a prize and have people come down. I think that would be really interesting, cage jiu-jitsu match. Um, you know, it depends what the rules would be and stuff like that. Um, you definitely got to figure out the best rule set for a, a cage jiu-jitsu match. Um, but yeah, it'll force people to learn how to work off the wall. Um, which is, you know, great for MMA and, you know, in a real life situation, if you know, you, if you're pinned against the wall or something, but a uh, cage jujitsu, that'd be pretty dope. Cause one thing that's, I see in MMA is like some guy will always bring him to the fence. Like if you, if you're on your back, you need the whole, you need, you know, to get positions to move when someone's just pushing you against the wall and your neck's against the wall, like it's hard for you to do arm bars and maneuver. So, uh, like, yeah. so that's the one thing I thought with cage jujitsu is like, you got to work that mindset with your jujitsu when you're in there. So yeah, the cage is a, is a huge factor, you know, that's why for like a while, like a lot of Japanese MMA guys, they would struggle in the UFC because the UFC's cage. And, you know, a lot of Japanese MMA was a, a lot in like a ring, you know, a ring. Once you start going like out to, towards the ropes, you just reset in the middle. But, um, in the UFC, you know, you have the, you have the octagon, you have the cage and, you know, you get pinned against the wall and it's a huge factor. And so another reason why wrestlers are so dominant in MMA is because of the cage. You know, wrestlers could really use the cage against the, to uh, to their advantage. Um, so it's definitely an element of grappling that you need to know is uh, how to fight off the wall. Yeah, man, absolutely. And then the cage, it has like a bounce to it. You can like hit somebody up, use it to propel the to slam. That's probably something we haven't got on the rules. I didn't think of all of them, but I want to allow slams. I think that's cool. Yeah, um, you know, slams are good. Um, you know, it, if people are in, like, triangles and stuff, um, you know, they got to know how to hook the leg so that they uh, they don't get slammed if they have a triangle. Um, right. You know, a competent grappler um, probably won't get hurt with slams involved. So I think it's a great uh, addition to the rules. The only thing I probably wouldn't do is, like, I'll say slams, but, like, you know, when you're trying to slam somebody on their head, you know, number one, you're probably really good, but you're also doing it intentionally. So, like, I would do slams, yeah. but only let it from your, you know, uh, on your traps down you know what i'm saying you don't really want your neck can't have uh, people spiking each other on their heads <laughs> yeah and that's not good for the sport either you know and then someone's got a coloring book they need for life for christmas i don't want to be that guy <laughs> absolutely you don't uh, want to ruin life <laughs> and uh, you know that's the whole thing that that you don't want to ruin it with the sport with a rule set like that so yeah i thought jiu-jitsu would be cool so aside from that uh, any other like uh competitions that aside from that one um, besides like um, this EBI rules tournament in January, um, there's another one in Texas I was probably going to do. Um, that was for 2K cash prize. It's another EBI rules, but it's only purple belts. Um, I'll probably do that one. And, you know, I'm just, you know, maybe a fight to win rolls around or, uh, you know, third coast grappling. I could uh, get on some of those cards. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, that's cool. You did. Uh, I didn't know you did a fight to wins. I did a uh, Kasai three times. I did Kasai and I did fight to win three times, actually. I don't know. I'm, uh, they're both really cool. What was like? What was a cooler experience for you? Um, Kasai was really cool, especially we were in the the Hammerstein Ballroom in the the Manhattan Center in the city. Um, that was an awesome experience. Um, 
you know, I got to fight some good guys like Kasai. Um, that really helped get my name out there a little bit at Purple Belt. Dope. Um, and so what, I guess if everything opened back up with that, that would definitely be something you'd be into doing Kasai again. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely do Kasai again. You know, um, I was on the first Kasai show when it was in like a warehouse in Brooklyn. Um, that was a pretty awesome experience. Um, and yeah, I would definitely hop on another one of their cards. That's dope, man. Um, as far as EBI goes, would you ever like actually, you know, you're doing a rule set. Do you even like the rule set before I ask if you would even do EBI? Do I, do I like the EBI rule set? Yeah. Um, I think it does force grapplers to uh, be better, you know, at, uh, you know, submissions and not just, you know, trying to positionally be good at grappling. Um, so I think it does force grapplers out of their element a little bit to be better at, you know, this new age type of jiu-jitsu. But, um, but the only problem with submission only is uh, you will see a lot of guys who give up positions to try to go for submissions. And in MMA, that wouldn't work. You know, you're going to get your face punched in. So um, there is some value to EBI rules, but there's also a downside to EBI rules, I think. Yeah, sure. So but without submission only for you, like as far as like you've been doing so many points competitions, you know, like you said, I think I even heard Mike said on his podcast, like you make sure you understand the rule set before you actually go in. That's an advantage. Yeah, you know, if you uh, go into an IBJJF tournament and you heel hook someone, and then you're, and then you're, you know, complaining about it that you got DQ'd, then you know you're just an idiot. You got to know the rules to your tournaments that you're doing. You know, um, actually take time and look at the rules. Don't you know get screwed by the rules in your tournament, complain about it, and then you realize, oh, I didn't know the rules. Yeah, then you're just kind of being an asshole about it. You know. Yeah, you know it's your own fault, and you make yourself look like an idiot. Because at the end of the day, it's their tournament. It's their thing. But yeah, I always thought that was interesting. Is like It's almost like a, like for comedians, like knowing your audience. you got to know the rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If you go into a tournament and um, you do an illegal technique and you get fucking DQ'd, or if you lose by an advantage um, and you didn't know that that counted for an advantage, that's your own fault. You should have known the rules, you know? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, submission only is something that you would definitely be into, right? Yeah, um, submission only, you know, that'll definitely make my uh, grappling improve, you know, going for, uh, uh, you know, all submissions. Um, you know, as long as you don't, uh, you know, be a bad representation for jiu-jitsu and give up, you know, really dumb positions to go for some submissions because, uh, you know, you'd get your fucking face punched in in a real fight. <laughs> right. I always thought it was cool you do some creative stuff too. Like uh, the other day, I saw you like... um you were arm triangling somebody and then someone's arms out and then you just kind of did like a one arm Kimura thing. Yeah. Um, you definitely don't want to leave your arms hanging in uh, weird positions like that. Um, there are a lot of creative submissions I like to do. I like to do this one inside arm bar. I like to do a lot of creative Darce chokes. Um, it really throws off my opponents sometimes because they're not a uh, really conventional submissions all the time. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I do do some unconventional submissions that work for me. Hmm, what what influence is that from? Um, I guess my body type too. You know, I have really long arms for my body type, and um, I definitely use that to my advantage with some you know unconventional darsh jokes and stuff like that. So it's just something you like found in training. It wasn't like you were like, "Hey, I watched some videotape." No, yeah, it was just uh, you know training every day and um, trying out new stuff, and uh, you know you figure out what works for your body type. You know, knowing what works for your body type is a huge part of jujitsu, also. You know, you can't do the, if you're five, four, you know, 200 pounds, you can't do the same shit that Keenan Cornelius is doing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like me, I'm a tiny guy. Like I, 
I like triangles, but I'm not going to triangle like Brock Lesnar. Like that's not happening. No, yeah, you just got to figure out, um, you know, what techniques will work for your body type. You know, you can't uh, if you're taking advice from the long, you know, tall, lanky guy all the time. Um, that might not be uh, good for your jiu-jitsu because you have a completely different body type. Yeah, that's that's like super important. It's so weird that jujitsu is like, I mean, you have that with striking too. Somebody's longer, they can use their length, but it, it's just really more important even with anatomy with jujitsu. Like, it, it'll come back tenfold on you. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, or you know, look at your opponent's body types. You know, um, a lot of times a you know person's body type will show you what kind of jujitsu they're gonna have. You know, if a really tall, lanky guy is probably gonna pull guard. Um, oh. You know. Hockey guy, you know, might be more of a wrestler, guard passer type of person just because that seems to fit their body type better. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool, man. I never even thought about that with that. Ah, uh, well, um, one sec. Um, the other thing is really interesting is your school does like competition, even like you'll have a referee and you'll do that stuff to make a uh, simulate. Uh, yeah, our friend Leo's a professional ref. Um, and so, yeah, for our guys that are competing, we, uh, we simulate matches, you know, um, if you can't compete in front of your friends, how are you supposed to gonna compete in front of a bunch of random people? You know, we actually get our students ready for that type of situation. You know, just a couple rolls and then you go home and you bullshit, you know, um, you're fucking, you're competing, you know, you're, uh, competing in front of your friends and, um, you're getting the jitters out of the way. Do you think like some schools would say that goes overboard, you know, and they'd be like, oh, well, that's crazy. Well, you know, our students are a bunch of savages and um, our school's growing. We're doing a lot of unconventional stuff for our school. We're training hard. We're uh, making a bunch of killers and our school just keeps growing at a faster rate than a lot of the other schools in our area, it seems to be. So I guess we're doing something right there. Yeah, it's pretty dope, man. Um, you even had like a cripple. Uh, so Mikey's like people that are like, oh, my arm hurts. They're like, ah, you can do leg locks, go in a corner, like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, if, uh, you know, if you're feeling tired or, you know, if you have some injuries, you could always work around it, you know, not in a dumb way, as long as you're training smart through an injury. Um, but yeah, you could always do something, you know, if, uh, if, if your shoulders hurt and maybe just work leg locks with someone in the corner, just drill it, you know, so you're improving every day. So how that happened, man, the cripples corner, some kid came in, he's like, I can't do jujitsu because of this. Yeah. You know, um, well, well, <laughs> who say they got, you know, they hurt their shoulder lifting really heavy in the gym. So we're like, okay, no problem. You know, you're here, you know, we're going to provide you with jujitsu. So you're going to go drill leg locks in the corner. You know, we just, uh, a lot of people have like, you know, a lot of little injuries, but we just work around them. That's so smart because most gyms would be like, ah, sit out in the side. Ah, it's cool. No. Yeah. We're focused on, you know, getting, uh, getting our guys better. And, uh, you know, we, we treat them like individuals, not like, uh, you know, we're not worried, oh, you know, if this person gets hurt, then they can't pay a membership anymore. But, you know, to us, it's like, you know, you know your body, you know, um, let's let's try to work on something else to try to keep you improving. What are like some leg locks that you would say if, for someone who's early, like learning it? Like I was talking to a, someone before you who's a black belt and they're saying that, you know, sometimes you're afraid to teach leg locks maybe to white belts in the beginning, you know, maybe because you're afraid somebody's going to get hurt. What level or, like, what time do you feel is a good time to teach somebody that? Um, you see, it's, uh, with jiu-jitsu, you'll see a lot of schools, you know, not want to teach leg locks because they think um, they're going to be very, uh, 
it's going to be a lot of injuries at the beginning for white belts and stuff. But, you know, you can still teach them. You could, um, if you don't want them training with leg locks, then that's different. You know, maybe, yeah, they should get better at guard passing first. But um, you, they could still drill them. You could still show them leg locks. You know, just don't have them cranking legs with each other. If it's a day one white belt, because a day one white belt, you know, tell them, you know, do this, this, and this. Don't go for leg locks and stuff. But if it's a day one white belt, he's wrong with the purple belt. Yeah, let him try some leg locks, you know. As far as you come in and teaching a technique, do you teach like day one white belts or do you wait to teach like leg lock techniques? Oh no, we'll 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 teach uh, we'll teach white belts leg locks, you know. Um we may not have them train leg locks with another white belt because then that's dangerous. But we'll definitely teach them, you know, um leg locks. You know, there's nothing wrong with actually showing them just the technique. See, that was smart what you just said. That was something that I didn't even think of. That's brilliant. Yeah, because if you have someone who doesn't know how to do it against someone who also doesn't, that's gonna make injury go up. Yeah, and then you're training with a guy who's at least a you know purple belt, and he knows how to do some shit. That makes sense because he'll say, "Ah, oh, dude, you're going too hard," or or like you get a feel for like when to tap. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, um, definitely have your newer guys work with upper belts. Um, that will definitely improve their progress. You should, uh, you know, to make your jujitsu better, you should always be training with people you're better than, people the same level as you, and people better than you. You know, people better than you, that will help your defense. The same level as you, you know, that's going to be your really tough rounds. The people you're better than, that will work your offense. Oh, beautiful. I love that. So what about, like, flow rolls and stuff like that? Where does that come into play? Those are just warm-ups, right? Like, I always see those, but I feel like I'm always, like, it's probably the wrestling thing. I'm, oh, I'm way too much of, like, trying to crash into somebody. I don't see how that works. So is that for warm-up, or is there actual technique going on in flow rolls? Um, if you're training with someone uh, that you're a lot more skilled than, then maybe you should be in more of a flow mindset and just look for different types of new submissions and try new stuff. Um, but you definitely shouldn't be flow rolling if you're training with, like, you know, a guy on the equal level than you. Um, or even if you're training with someone a lot better than you, you should, you know, try to attack some submissions. Don't be, uh, you know, don't be so tight and, you know, actually try to go at them. You know, my students, my white belts, I tell them, you know, actually try to submit me. You know, don't try to... Uh, you know, don't try to be so cautious. Right. And then, like, you know, it doesn't matter if they're going to get it or not. But, you know, if they do, like, even if somebody did tap you in school, there's no ego. Like, you, you're almost, like, kind of happy with that. You know, it's there's no ego, really, when you're showing someone stuff. If you're if you're not tapping, like, if you're training every training session and you're not getting tapped at least, you know, a couple times, then you're doing something wrong. That means you're not trying new stuff, you know. You're just doing the same shit every day. And, yeah, you're not getting tapped. But are you getting better? No. You need You're supposed to be getting tapped. Right, like, who's going to go in a jiu-jitsu gym and just, you're like, you're fucking awesome all the time? Like, people who are the best in the world, they have to get their ass handed to them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you can't go into class every day doing the same exact technique. You know, you need to try other things, and that's going to cause you to, you know, get submitted sometimes, but that's okay, because then you're getting better. <laughs> And you, as far as like, you know, teaching, it's, it's definitely changed your life uh, a lot. So, you know, what are some of the most biggest mistakes that you see, I guess, coming to jujitsu as a teacher? Um, biggest mistakes that a teacher could do? No, I, I just mean students wise, but we can answer the teacher thing after that. Um, so you're asking like. Do you see something general that like you see a lot of people do? Oh, like uh, a lot of people will, um, you know, tell their students. Um, you know, like, especially those who come in as wrestlers to just, you know, play guard all the time and kind of just beat the wrestler out of them. You know, that, that sucks with new students or, you know, the everyday student who doesn't have a grappling background. Um, they'll kind of 
you know, they'll teach them a lot of the same techniques over and over again. Um, you know, they need their minds need to be exposed to new and a lot of bunch of different techniques so that they can figure out what works for them early. What is part about, about drilling too? Like, you know, a lot of people say drilling's boring. I'm actually really I love drilling. Um, I like drilling a lot and then I like to roll after. That's how I like to do it. What do you think of drilling? Some people think they it's too much, some schools just roll, some schools just drill. So what's Immortals Jiu Jitsu philosophy? Um, Immortals Jiu Jitsu, we drill about three to four techniques a night. Um, you know, I think over three to four, if you're drilling more than three to four techniques a night, um, you know, sometimes you'll, you won't be good at all of them, you know? Um, so I think three to four is a good amount that you could retain information and uh, get a lot of time working on those techniques. You know, if you teach someone everything on the first day, then they learn nothing. Yeah. I've had that a lot. I'll go to schools and sometimes you're learning like, you know, especially when you're starting out, you know, even if you know a little bit, you know, you go to other levels like leg locks, you know, you can't, if somebody doesn't know a leg lock, you're not going to show five leg locks in a day. That's going to drive someone crazy. No. Yeah, absolutely. They got to be working on, you know, a good couple techniques for one day, then a good couple techniques for the next day. Um, you know, like I said, you show everyone, you, you show 20 techniques in one day, then everyone in the room doesn't learn shit because they spent not too much time on those techniques. Yeah. And what are some of the, like, things you see with these, uh, uh, you, you know, we're going to say teachers or, like, professors in jiu-jitsu? Like, you obviously do stuff differently than most gyms. What are the mistakes that you see with coaches that teach? Um, well, like, a lot of the coaches in our area, you know, they'll, you know, force their students to train in the gi every day. Um, because, you know, they a lot of schools will have one no-gi class a week and then six days in the gi. You know, a big uh, cause for that might be is because these instructors don't know a lot of no-gi techniques. Um or, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of schools that make you wear, you know, a certain uniform or like, and you got to pay for that uniform. You can't wear your own gear. Like, we don't care. Like, wear whatever gear you want. You know, we're not treating you like a number. You know, you're an individual. First of all, that's the biggest bullshit ever. When I heard that, and you're right, I've seen some schools do that. Dude, that, that is, that pisses me off every time I see it. No, yeah. No, yeah. You, uh, if someone tells you, oh, you have to wear this gear to train here. No, fuck you. You know, wear whatever the fuck you want. You know, you just is a, you know, it's a cr very creative sport and, uh, you know, you should be able to wear whatever type of gear you want. And it's also a community thing. Like, yeah, especially going to your gym, you guys had such good vibes and it was very communal. If you're just making it where everybody's got to take it, like it's like communism, right? You got to take everybody looks the same to wear the shirt just so you can make money. You take the love in the community out of that. No. Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu doesn't become fun at that point. You're just like being like a cookie cutter kind of yeah you're in a, an assembly line or some shit <laughs> yeah exactly and that's what it is though you're seeing a lot of factory cookie cutter uh jujitsu stuff and i see it all the time that's the business model to make the most money you know um but uh you know at immortals jujitsu we're not gonna be like that we're not gonna you know be uh you know like the assembly line type of jujitsu right and I, and i love that because of it too and you know you uh, recently there was some friend you guys had and you actually like defended his life like he almost could have died and he got in the hospital and they got he's all right but he jujitsu saved this guy's life oh yeah absolutely you know a lot of people say uh you know oh jujitsu saved my life but um you know him jujitsu actually did save his life you know and jujitsu saves a lot of people's lives um you know there's a lot there's a lot of meaning behind that phrase what exactly happened with him like what was the situation um he, he was attacked by someone. He got, he actually got shot a couple times. Um, 
and he was able to, you know, withstand it and use jujitsu to, uh, you know, save his life. I don't know the, the full story, to be honest with you, but um, but that's what I heard, yeah. Was it in a bar or was it outside? I'm not sure. I think it was outside, though. Dude, that's crazy. Uh, it was ni- knife and he had got shot. Yeah, the guy, the guy fucking threw the kitchen sink at him. <laughs> <laughs> fucking crazy. Dude, that guy is fucking Superman. Holy shit. I thought it was just stabbing. I know it was gunshot, too. Yeah. Like, I, I thought there was, like, a gun involved. Um, his name's Kevin uh, Sheehan. You know, follow him on Instagram. Uh, check out our, our post about him. We The whole story's there. You can read it. Right. And, you know, you got, you know, uh, Ramble and Rack. He did a whole podcast uh, with that guy. So check yeah. that out, too. Check that out if you want the, the full story, you know, um. I don't have all my information together right now. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I just thought that was so cool, man. I mean, it was just like people always say some like kind of gay shit, like, yeah, Jiu Jitsu saved my life, but like that's a real story. But there but uh, you know, that phrase is there for a reason. You know, Jiu Jitsu actually has saved a lot of people's lives. Right. Like we were saying before, like if anybody has like physical disadvantages or anything, like jujitsu is right there and you can you know it takes you years to master other things you have to get in shape you know jujitsu is always catered to like hey you don't need to know anything else you just need to defend yourself and it's probably the best thing for self-defense on one-on-one at any martial art yeah you know once you bring someone to the floor you know if they're on their back they can't generate a lot of energy to throw knockout punches at you you know i mean we saw kevin holland knock out a Array from his back this weekend but um you know the average person's not gonna be able to do that you know that's a ufc you know athlete um but yeah you bring someone to the floor you get on top of them they can't generate a lot of power to knock you out from their back um and that's why jiu-jitsu is so effective yeah that was really crazy that knockout i almost looked like he put his foot in the hip and he like used it to like launch off of it or, or something oh yeah um you know, he was able to generate a lot of energy um, with that punch, and he landed it right on the button, right on the gin, um, and that's what knocked Jacare out. We saw Anderson Silva a long time ago from the close guard actually, like, throw a hook kick from the close guard and knock someone out. Um, Henzo Gracie, he threw an up kick at uh, um, Takhtarov back in the 90s. Um, you know, you could definitely knock people out off your back, but you bring someone to their back, and you know how to, you know, protect yourself from those up kicks and, you know, different types of... Uh, punches like that then you can definitely use jujitsu to your advantage dope you know you're you have a lot of like so what are those are few mma guys you like what are other mma guys that you that you look at because it's not just all jujitsu oh yeah like a lot of really good mma guys that i always loved was uh you know like the diaz brothers nick and nate diaz um that uh boxing style jujitsu they've uh you know they're definitely great representations for the art in mma um they're kind of crazy but they're crazy in a good way i would say um you know, George St. Pierre is awesome. Um, you know, um, a lot of other good fighters I liked. Uh, Frankie Edgar, obviously, you know, fucking from Jersey. I love uh, I love all these Jersey fighters that are representing the sport um, and representing New Jersey. 100%. Uh, you know, and of course, Henzo Gracie, like you said, he did MMA. He was great. No, yeah. Yeah, Henzo Gracie in, uh, in Pride, and, you know. A lot of the old school pride fights are definitely something that jujitsu people need to watch. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, well, as far as like you trained with Henzo in, of course you're in a blue basement, but like I saw you with a picture recently. Doing yeah, he, how was yeah, it? Henzo's been teaching at noon, um, so it's pretty cool to be learning from Henzo Gracie himself recently. Um, and yeah, he has a lot of crafty uh, submissions. You know, for such an old school guy, um, he definitely has an. Um, 
you know, let himself slip, you know? You know, like, I guess he has leg locks, but, like, Danaher's the leg lock guy. So he's teaching different stuff, or do you see, like, the same kind of thing, or what? Um, You know, even uh, what I've noticed with Henzo is, uh, you know, I know, like, John Danaher and uh, a lot of the Danaher, like, guys are uh, very submission-oriented. But even Henzo's like that. For an old-school guy, he's very submission-oriented. And, like, you'll see a lot of old-school grapplers who just don't have that submission-oriented mindset. But Henzo does. Yeah, because a lot of it's more positional, right? They don't think of just getting yeah. that. Yeah, but it seems to be that uh, Henzo's always kind of had, like, a submission mindset, and that's why, you know, might have carried on to John Donaher, and then, you know, he fucking took it tenfold. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, because I've been to a lot of jiu-jitsu schools, and, you know, it's really it's all based on a point system. It's, it's You dominate to get to one position, to get to another position. That leads to an ultimate awesome submission, you know. But this yeah. age of like submission only, you're seeing a lot of that where like we're going beyond a point system. It, it, we're looking that it's dominated for submissions only now, you know. Do you see like jujitsu just like getting excited because of that? Yeah, um, it seems to be like uh, like Gordon himself is getting people who don't even train to jujitsu to watch jujitsu. So maybe, you know, if jujitsu guys start being more exciting and going for more uh, submissions, you'll see people um get into jiu-jitsu maybe even people who don't train and it might convince them to train seeing this you know all this action yeah and i'm my prediction personally is i think that you're probably gonna be able to make a living i think in the next five years we're gonna see just it rise up to like mma standards i think more people because of mma and because of everything else they're getting into the sport and i think that eventually you're gonna see guys like you and guys that i've been interviewing are like kind of pioneers at this point uh and a lot of people don't know about it there's not a lot of money behind it but you're just starting to see the excitement come and i really think in about a handful of years you know we're going to see like it's almost going to be like a normal thing and people want to go pay for it and watch it like a ufc oh yeah you know uh, gordon i'd say paved the way you know a lot of world champions were broke you know but uh gordon kind of paved the way on how to make money in jiu-jitsu and uh, a lot of us are trying to follow that path. Yeah, man. And he's such a, like a lot of people just like, even myself, like when I didn't meet him, you know, I always just thought like, and I thought it was hilarious. I just thought he's a guy that just roasts people. And like, he's like kind of this crude, mean guy, but you meet this guy and he's got such like a, he's actually a really nice guy. And he's just got like a hard workers mentality. Like this guy just fucking is a work dog. And you know, um, you know, he talks a lot of shit on the internet. Um, but it kind of motivates him too. He creates haters and um, it motivates his training because he knows he has to prove his haters wrong. And if he constantly makes haters and, um, you know, he's calling out his opponents saying well, how he's going to submit them and stuff, it just motivates his own training more so he could get to a higher level. That's awesome. I always think that's like also sells the fights too because oh. people are reading that shit. Yeah, you know, if, um, you know, like Conor McGregor, you know, he would talk a lot of shit, but I bet it motivated his training knowing how many haters he had. 100%. And then I see, like, there's a big thing of, like, Gordon's such a big guy, but I, I can totally tell, like, he's a natural, you know, to at least anyway. I've seen other guys where you come in the sport, and actually, let's talk about that. What what Do you think that jujitsu should have more testing? Because there's so many guys that come into grappling competitions, and they're they're on peds, they're on steroids. Yeah, um, the problem is is that, you know, all these drug tests is going to be very expensive. Um, and, you know, I feel like the IBJJF just isn't willing to dish out all that money to test every single one of these athletes. Um, you know, as jiu-jitsu grows, um, 
yeah, there definitely should be testing because it's just like clearly obvious how many of these athletes aren't natural. Um, but yeah, hopefully we start seeing more testing in the next five to ten years. Yeah, man, because it's 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 kind of a crazy thing. Like you know, I don't care. Barry Bonds can shoot whatever the fuck he wants in his balls. He's hitting home runs. Like baseball, I get it. But when you're dealing with combat sports, whether it's you're punching or you're breaking a dude's arm or it's a something like that, I really think that you probably shouldn't be taking shit like that because you're hurting people that if you want to do an all league that does that shit, maybe we'll do that. But I really think it actually hurts people who are trying to learn the sport. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're on PEDs and you're going against someone who's not on PEDs, you know, you have such an advantage, but if you're the person not on PEDs, it gives you a great opportunity to show your jujitsu. Um, more skill there. Yeah. There definitely needs to be more testing. Um, you know, a lot of these guys are coming in looking non-human at this point. <laughs> Have you ever like had a couple people you were growing with like this guy, just a little something different? Oh yeah. Um, I've, uh, I've, I've competed against and um, at different places trained with uh, people who are clearly on, or even people who are just openly on steroids and it's definitely a different type of strength. And it affects it's your role, to, right? Yeah. It's good to train with those people though. Um, you know, it gets you ready for a situation where if you are competing against someone on PEDs, um, if you're training with people or if you're, if you're used to competing against people like that, then you should be okay. Right. It's like you're, you're fucking training in the, with the Hulk, you know, then when you get a normal human, it's nothing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm going to respect your time, buddy. One more question and probably I'll let you like, you know, I'll got maybe two more questions, but the one with teaching, I want to ask you, you know, if you've done jujitsu for years and now you're teaching it, do you find yourself like looking and analyzing jujitsu in like a different way because of that? Um, you know, teaching forces me to uh, be better at the little things because you know, um, I'll see my students mess up things, and I think to myself, "Wow, I never saw it from this perspective," or "Wow, like, uh, um, how can I make my student better? How can I fix these little details that they're messing up?" So it makes me pay attention more to the little things teaching. Do you think it makes you better as a competitor too? Like your skills. Cause you have to overanalyze or whatever. Um, yeah, it makes me, uh, I, I would say, yeah, it does improve, uh, competition. Um, you know, cause, um, it makes me more focused on little details, even when I'm going for a submission in a tournament or going for a pass or a sweep, you know, um, I spent so much time helping my students on the little details that it makes my jujitsu a lot more efficient. Cool, man. And, you know, one of the things I want to ask you is like, you know, if somebody's trying to, and they want to be a world-class competitor like you, right. You know, what are some of the things you would tell somebody who like the same thing, if a guy came up to you and he was like, Hey man, you know, I'm a young, you know, blue belt or whatever. I want to really aspire to do what you do. Like, what are some of the things I can do? Um, I would say, make sure you have the right coach. Um, make sure you're going to every training session, you know, with the right mentality, improving, not winning, um, and have a plan, you know, don't just be like, Oh, I'm going to train every day. And then I'm just going to compete. No, actually plan it out. You know, um, how are you going to make time to train? How are you going to make time to compete? Um, how are you going to make sure that you are in the best possible condition to compete? So really make sure you have a plan. Don't just wing it. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. And you know, why did they call you? By the way, I should ask you this in the beginning, you know, you're, you're, uh, Daddy Marco, well, you know, you're, you're, what happened with that name? Where'd that come from? It's hilarious. Um, so a lot of times when I compete, um, there's usually, uh, you know, 
Brazilians with accents who are calling my name. And um, Y seems to be very hard for them to pronounce. So they'll say more of like a J sounding word. And it came out like Jaddy Marco. And um, <laughs> so people just started calling me Daddy Marco. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that's yeah. amazing. I love it. Yeah. You sound like the pimp of jujitsu. And, you, know, you should just cool. come around <laughs> that's all you just come around one day like just with a pimp stick and like you're in your stuff and you're just like clubbing students to do right positions and moves i'll uh i'll claim the title pimp of jiu-jitsu <laughs> i love it i love it man oh man so it was a pleasure having you on buddy i appreciate it and, and it was awesome when coming to your gym and meeting you and giving us that interview guys check his instagram out what's your instagram again i'm sorry my Instagram is my last name, at Yadimarco, so Y-A-D-I-M-A-R-C-O. Um, check it out, guys. Awesome. And if you guys, I don't care if you're in New York, I don't care if you fly down, go to Clifton, check out Immortals Jiu-Jitsu, and you guys won't be disappointed. No, yeah, we'll uh, definitely bring the heat. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Right. I appreciate it. You, you, you have a great day, man, and it's been a pleasure, bro. Peace. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Likewise. See ya. Awesome.